This is Coda Radio, episode 543, recorded on October 30th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris and joining me for our second in a row, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Let's get our plungers and get ready to fix this big stank up. Misa ready to... Wait, no, I don't do that. Dang it. Dang it. I, I can't, if, I'm, if I'm the one invoking Jar Jar, you know things are really off the rails. Things have gone in a dark direction. I was surprised by a Stack Overflow survey that says that 79% of the 1,000 developers that responded to this year's survey, 79% are considering a new job. They're at least considering, if not actively looking, was their answer. Uh, one interesting data point, though, interest in looking for a new job drops as developers get, you know, a bit more seasoned, I'll say. Mm. So if you're uh, 44 and younger, you're more likely to be looking. But if you're 55, somewhere you know between 44 and 55, you're less likely. But it does pick back up again. After 55 years old, 88% of what they say late career developers are actively curious about working somewhere else. Like <laughs> they want, and the number one reason is a better salary. Like they, they mellowed out for a while and now they want another job again. You got to feed that 401k, baby. Yeah. 79%. That suggests 79% of them don't like their job. Well, it's also a self-selecting set though, right? So developers that would actually reply to a Stack Overflow survey is in itself some of the more engaged developers in the wider community, right? So True. Now, when, when asked, uh, you know, what industry are you a quote-unquote developer in? Most of them are in technology, but 8% of them in the last year exited the technology industry and are going into roles in manufacturing and supply chain companies. 11% this, this year versus 7% last year, too, for that. I could see that. Maybe there's a trend. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, get them out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this whole tech thing, I'll tell you what. All right, we got a real spicy uh, feedback to get to because we've been name-dropping Apple TV and Password123 writes in... How did he know my password? <laughs> I know, right? It was so clever. How can a company with such clever people be so tone-deaf? Most of the content on Apple TV Plus is only for half of the political spectrum. The latest season of Ted Lasso is peppered with throwaway lines, just a virtue signal... And the problem with Jon Stewart is a perfect example of the bias. Which we should say they just canceled. But yeah. Right, right, right. Does Apple really think that half the population wants to watch this stuff? Are they so out of touch with reality that they don't realize that their nascent third-tier streaming service needs to appeal to as many people as possible? Even Disney had to deal with this reality recently. Once they stopped ignoring half the population, their streaming platform started making money. Apple, wake up. You need to pick one, virtue signaling or revenue. Which do you think will make your shareholders happier? So I'm a very strange alicorn here. Uh, and if you get that reference, you're weird too. Or you have little kids. Because I, you know, the demographics are like people who watch CBS shows like NCIS and people who watch like Prestige TV. I like both. Um, now, I do get butthurt about Star Trek Discovery all the time. I, oh, we, can we just take a diversion here? Oh, sure. Remember I promised you a month ago that I would try to rewatch it? Mm. I got right to where my boyfriend turned evil and I was done. 
<laughs> it's where I fail every time. I'm like, no, you didn't I, make it far. I'm like, you I love Lorca. What are you doing? Like, I know. Like, they I, just messed it up. I just I want. I just honestly, I want the Lorca variety hour where he's just like ordering airstrikes on stuff, or I guess there's space strikes on stuff, right? It just like, just like maybe we should actually fight back as aggressively as the Klingons. I don't know. So I think I think Password is responding to our sentiment uh, recently, where like maybe Apple just shouldn't even be in the streaming business. Yeah, I don't think they should be in the business. And his point, where so I don't necessarily agree. Like I don't mind if they have, I don't care if they have programming that has a political bias at all. I think where he is right is if you want to appeal to as many potential customers as possible, you should probably have stuff on both or all sides. I mean, I, I don't really like this one or the other side thing, but you know, re- like if you're gonna have a the problem with John Stewart, maybe you also have like some other, you know conservative person but they would just never do that at apple so he does have a point that they are limiting themselves to half of half of i guess the customer base or whatever i guess but then do you also cancel the conservative bob hour because they also talked about china right <laughs> it's just more shows you yeah, more. i mean it, to me the john stewart case is like is the real problem right the problem with john stewart is that apple was like oh you can't f- with china buddy no sorry you're right it's just more things they would have to censor right just- i i feel like it's look art is art like i i I, I want to defend Apple TV, actually, just for a second. Yeah. I have really enjoyed For All Mankind. I just watched all of that's been published so far. Is that good? I like it. It's it's kind of intense at times, hmm. but I really like it. And I watched it with the wife, and she enjoyed it. I also watched Silo with the wife, and I thought Silo. Which one is Silo? Um, It's this crazy show that is based on this concept of people that are in this silo underground, way, way underground. It's huge. Yes, yes. I saw the advertisement. Yep, yep. And they don't really know why. So it's a real whodunit mystery box type thing, but if you're up for that, it's a well-done style. Listen, I'm watching We Crashed for just tips on my next next attempt at a VC-funded startup. <laughs> next being first, because I'm going to, I might, listen, I'm literally going to start taking yoga. I have a plan. But kidding aside, like, you know, art is art, right? Like, if you, like, I have no problem with, you know, The Blaze or, like, whatever the Ben Shapiro's thing is called. Yeah, just don't watch it if you don't like it. You don't watch it. Like, I don't watch MSNBC. I... Read CNN sometimes. I I actually find the local papers more hilarious because, one, you can tell where they definitely use ChatGPT, and I don't care what they tell me. Those <laughs> local sports articles suck, and nobody wrote them. Nobody wrote those. I feel like, you know, Password, in a way, the market the market is working this out right now. Well, I, Apple well, TV is you know, losing. They'll, they'll have to cut what doesn't work. Right, exactly. And they'll have to start making stuff that does work, just like you pointed out Disney's doing. I don't really I don't find it to be as big of a problem. I don't think cuz Apple's not like it's not like they're poor. And no one's compelling you to watch anything. I would have a more aggressive stance on it if if Apple was dying, right? If they were barely surviving right now and they were they were blowing money on this stuff, then I would have more of an issue with it. See, I I get more scared about the like censorship sh- stuff, right? Like I you know, you you can have the crazy left show and the crazy right show. I don't really care. It's when like, it's honestly what happens on social media now where it's like, oh, you can't talk about that or, oh, that's bad, you know, and they're going to like, you know, de-algorithm you or put their little help box up. That To me, that's all crap. Yeah. Well, I I and my concern is not only that you are 100 percent right, but you're not taking it far enough and that it isn't an implicit demand that is necessarily being placed on you. Now, in the case with the John Stewart show, we are seeing implicit demands. But that's because John Stewart made it like a, like he basically said, it he made from it the issue. story. He made an issue. He said, if you don't yeah. give me the freedom I'm telling you I want, then I'm going to walk. 
But I think the more insidious problem is it is the incentive of the platforms that force the creation of the type of content that is the most rewarded on the platform. And so you you end up as a content creator because at the same time you're also a business owner and you need to eat. Mm-hmm. You end up focusing on what is successful on a platform. You want to make money on YouTube? You got to focus on the YouTube algorithm. You got to focus on the YouTube thumbnail style. You got to focus on what the audience wants there. You want to make money on X, Weapon X? You got to do what Elon wants. You got to play that game. And there's a, and there's certain things you will talk about that will be successful, and there's things you can talk about that will cause your entire account to lose traction and make things never successful. And so it's just natural selection of the incentives on these platforms that actually will cause self-imposed censorship at a massive scale. And it's a problem on YouTube. It's a problem on Twitter. It's a problem even on Mastodon because there are social restraints and social expectations and massive network repercussions in the Federation if you go outside those social norms. So there's even incentives over there, even if they're not monetary. I think it's a big problem going forward because I don't see a single large platform with a decent network effect that isn't going to be suffering this problem. No, there's no way. I mean, I, I think this is too big of a topic. Probably deserves its own show, but you know, the, 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 just like the a big like asterisk on this, if there's a difference between fiction, you know, i.e., art and nonfiction. Right. I think art is art and you kind of can't, I don't know, whatever art is art. Like I feel like everybody gets a pass for art, but the nonfiction stuff is it's where things get a little more creepy to me. Like why is it that John Stewart and Apple and, and although I'm a free market guy, like, I feel like Apple has the right to tell them to go pound sand, but it's real interesting that AI and IE and more so China was the thing that made them get rid of him. Right. Where I'm not really like I bitch about discovery, but I just watched other stuff, right? I'm watching Babylon 5, and right. its plot well, is... Incom- what's the problem here? The problem here is that China is a very important customer. That's no, just, I understand that's the, that. Well, right. I know you understand yeah. it, but I'm just boiling it down to the basics. Right. Now, what would be scarier is if we had, like, Star Trek... Uh, I'm making one up. Star Trek exhibitions and CBS... Or is it still CBS, right? Or Paramount Plus or Paramount, whatever? Paramount, whatever. Paramount couldn't make a enemy... Chinese captain, right? Like the, the new Khan couldn't be a Chinese guy because, you know, that would piss off the Chinese. Yeah, that's a tricky one because the backstory of Khan is that he became like the emperor of a bunch of different Asian countries. And right. Yeah. And that was then he had to flee and he was a king, right? So he was a king that Kirk was dealing with of Asian descent. Right. But does that offend the Chinese now? I don't know. Apparently, because now he was. A guy from London. <laughs> well, right. And, and we, we've made it. We've. We, this sounds crazy if you don't know. But like Disney has already made concessions where like they've taken references to the Dalai Lama and Thailand out of movies in Taiwan. Uh, so it's do all roads lead to that silk, silk road to that golden, golden dragon? Well, what you're talking about right now is a China problem. But tomorrow it's a problem of every Western government that is dealing with difficult economic situation, a more and more upset population, struggling energy supply chains. You know, like these things are going to create situations and dynamics where governments are going to want to have a little more control on the exits of information and the entrance of information. Ah, yes, we all become the EU. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's so I mean, I think I just my my warning to people and, you know, play this back in a couple of years is what we talk about today as a problem with the Chinese government and their influence over these companies 
is is really a problem that is going to be with any large nation. And oh. I don't know. It's not just nations, though, right? There's what I call the Auntie Kara problem of you don't tow the right political line, and it's basically super bad for your business. So, On the positive side, I mean, I really do mean this. On the positive side, there is a massive boom in independent media where you can kind of pick. If you don't like their take, you don't watch it. And I think it'd kind of be a big deal if Jon Stewart launched his own show, did it on his own website or whatever. He'd probably do it on a platform, but... There is more and more of examples of that happening, of, of people that have large audiences that just go independent now. And I actually think, you know, yes, they get to say whatever they want. I don't, I don't find that a bad thing because I can choose what I pay attention to or not. I, I can client-side filter. My family and I, we talk about these things, and I try to, I try to just have – I try to foster a family ecosystem of client-side filtering. And uh, I feel like the independent explosion we've seen really since COVID uh, that's still hanging on uh, is the response. It is the immune system responding to this rot in our information body. I I actually am very optimistic about all of this long term, but it is a slog that, um, you know, I think you and I are just feeling more and more comfortable openly talking about right now because it has been something that has kind of been a taboo topic even for this show for a while to a degree. To a degree. We'd like to push the edge when we can. But I think the pieces are starting to become more obvious. More of the puzzle is fitting together. I miss the 60s. I kind of miss the 80s. Alderon.games slash Coder. They're looking to hire talented remote workers. And I think they could be a good fit for you. In fact, recent surveys have suggested that nearly 80% of developers are considering alternative work. And many of them are considering remote work. Now, if you're a listener to this show... You might appreciate Matt's story. He's the lead over at Alderon Games, and he's been a listener to this show since his 9 to 5. A while ago, he decided to go set off and do his own thing, like a maniac. I guess somehow inspired by our show. I don't know how. He'd think, if anything, it's a cautionary tale. Uh, but he's, he's seen success, and he's seen growth. And he's been finding some some you know trouble, I would say, hiring the right people and good people. And I think it hit him. Probably listening to the show, you know, and just our intellect, our immense intellect, it probably just washed over him and he realized, I should reach out to the Coda Radio audience. Perhaps they, like me, are looking for great remote work. So this is where they're at now. They're their own self-publishing game studio, totally in the spirit of how JB does stuff. There's nobody above them, nobody below them. They get to focus on the game, the content, and they're looking to hire multiple positions. Go see the available spots at alderon.games slash coder. Even if your job isn't necessarily listed there, but you maybe think you could be an asset to the game, to the company, to some of their projects, reach out anyway. Uh, Matt made a note to say, yeah, I'd still like to hear from them. Uh, they're looking to hire Linux QA folks as well, so go brush up your GitHub profile and then visit alderon.games slash coder. Perhaps just reach out even if they don't have the specific job there and start maybe a new journey into a fantastic remote job. Alderon.games slash Coder, they're looking to hire. Well, as we're recording on the 30th of October, this morning the Biden administration has announced a new executive order that directs agencies to develop safety guidelines around AI. And I've grabbed a really couple of short clips from CNBC's coverage. Or actually, I'm sorry, this is ABC's coverage. 
Good morning, Robin. The White House is calling this the strongest action that any government has taken on artificial intelligence, safety and security. Today, the president signing an executive order that would require developers working on the most powerful AI models to share their safety test results with the government before releasing their products to the public. It also includes developing standards for ethically using AI and for detecting AI generated content and labeling it as such. And what do you think? So that's the pitch right there. It's essentially uh, eight goals they've outlined, and of course they're directing agencies to start creating standards. So, so before we regulate the robots because they're going to kill us all, I want a robot where I can just say, "Hey, Robo Bro, make me a Hendrix Martini with a lime twist," and I do nothing. I don't stock it up. I don't order the Hendrix. I don't order the vermouth. I don't because until it can do that, I don't think they're killing humanity. Do you remember? During the beginning of the real COVID scare, the controversy around if or if not the Trump administration would employ the Defense Production Act to force companies to create ventilators. Do you remember this debate? If it would even be constitutional? Constitutional. Sorry. That was a real question. I do remember the debate. I thought it was dumb, but yeah. So this is also using the Defense Production Act. So this is using the powers that the executive branch gets via the Defense Production Act, where uh, it is essentially the U.S. law that the president can compel, for defense of the United States, companies to start producing something. Which makes tons of sense in a war situation, right? uh, And so that's the question here is, is this the appropriate mechanism to enforce this. I don't know. Maybe that'll get challenged. Maybe it won't. I doubt the tech companies will fight this. No, I think I see. I I read this completely differently, right? I, this looks like something the tech companies wanted done to further entrench themselves so that small upstarts basically are burdened with the, the weight of uh, compliance here. Right. They, they, well, we know that they remember they had that big meeting at the white house and then um, they've been essentially, They've been able to bypass Congress and get regulation and moat creation via lobbying of the executive office. I mean, so we should probably go into the history of the Defense Production Act. First of all, no one was like robbed, right? Like Ford and all those guys made a ton of money. That's the the law that says, uh, let's we could do the real case, right? Roosevelt's like, yo, Mr. Ford, nice car factory you got there. We kind of need tanks, though. Uh, here's what we're going to pay for tanks. You're going to go ahead and make us some tanks. And they like have to make a profit. Like the law says they have to make a profit. So you can't like rip the company off. And it's literally taking the means of production. Communists in the audience, you're going to love this. It's socializing temporarily or partially the means of production to literally win a war, right? It's a crisis. That makes just a crap ton of sense to me, right? It goes along with things like rationing. Uh, like like foil for gum was hard to find, luxury food, right? The rubber was rationed. Uh, these are all things that make sense in a in a war economy. Now, this is not a war economy, although with the amount of wars we like to launch without paying for them, it probably should have been at a couple points. But that's me being me. This is incumbents who already have a, a strong lead, wanting to basically pull the ladder up behind them. And uh, I think it's crap. I also think there's a bunch of political uh, social engineering in this, particularly when you start talking about mitigating bias and uh, some of the more softer stuff there, because it comes into the who gets to pick what a biased AI is. I mean, I have, I mean, okay, Microsoft's day, I guess, was a Nazi Twitter robot for some reason. 
But, you know, the more I work with this stuff using the ChatGPT APIs for Alice, the more I'm like, it's it's fine, but I'm not that scared. And it's it's not going it, it, to... CodePilot's not eating anybody's lunch, right? This is... This is the thing. Yeah. And I want to I wanna just play one more short clip for Dude. you of how ABC News, that is one of the largest network news companies here in the States, how they just naturally frame the AI conversation and they state it as fact. There's no curiosity. There's no, this could be a potential problem. They state it as this is the present problem that needs solved. But this is just the start to tackling the many dangers of AI as it rapidly advances. The technology threatens jobs by replacing human tasks. It makes it far easier to spread misinformation and to steal people's data. Oh, and there's that misinformation thing again. You know, it seems like a lot of this is actually not necessarily bad on the surface, but the problem is the language can be used to essentially implement information control. Oh, it's, 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 this is all the, we need to censor social media more, right? No, no more uh, wrong think. The other, the other thing that this does is it, it provides some funding uh, to protect against misuse of AI. So um, it plans like there's some funding in there to go towards algorithmic discrimination um, and ensuring fairness. But the ensuring fairness is for when the technology is being utilized for sentencing, parole, and surveillance. And all of the privacy stuff, anything related to consumer protection and privacy, is completely punted to Congress. Which is hilarious because the entire premise is that Congress is dysfunctional. And this is what Nilay Patel just outlined on CNBC we were watching on the live stream. Congress is dysfunctional. So this had to be done quickly by the executive branch. But, oh, don't worry. Privacy will be taken care of by Congress. Like You don't see the catch-22 there? No, they, they <laughs> yeah, the the part that they don't care about is the part that's never going to happen because Congress can't, I mean. They are pulling up the ladder. They are trying to screw open source AI and they are building regulatory moats around Microsoft and OpenAI, which by the way, OpenAI is ran, in my opinion, by a psychopath who is involved directly in some of this selling to the executive branch. It's my opinion. Well, and Google, right? You can't, you can't count Google out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was getting there, and there's others. This is building a moat for them, and they're going to package all of this up and tell you it's good for you. And people that you know that don't listen to this show are going to think it's a good thing. They're going to get the programming update that we've, you know, we're getting our hands around AI and that the Biden White House is stepping up to the challenge and they're really opening up now for these companies to really get to work on this in a safe way. And it's crap. Well, but this is the new mantra of uh, of tech, right? Safety and thoughtfulness, right? I made fun, uh, what was it, a year ago of uh, Galloway's thoughtful triangle. But I didn't realize it was going to go this far, right? It's the other, the other thing that obviously kind of just kind of grosses me out is they use the red team, blue team terminology in this Mm -hmm. so they have this whole thing where nist is going to set up like all of these security policies and whatnot and then based on the standards that nist develops they're going to have developers red team and blue team their code it just grosses me out that that whole thing it's just it's so ridiculous as if nist can create some sort of static or annually updated standard that could keep up with the development of AI when the entire premise of all of this is that it's moving so quick that we have to act now 
But now, our, now that we've done this, our agencies can take two years to develop standards that get updated once every five years, if at that. I mean, everything about this is ludicrous. And yet, I, I'm, I'm going to be hearing from all of the NPCs out there about what a great idea this is. You go on CNBC right now, and Neil Patel will tell you how great this is, and it's going to work. Well, so, so we've never proven the thesis, right? Because to me, this is about, okay, what are you scared of? You're not scared of the robot apocalypse. You're not scared of Skynet. Yeah, and they're not, they're not scared about blue-collar blue workers losing their jobs in factories. Because you know what? That's not going to happen. No, and if it did, it just makes their businesses more money. Right. What they're scared of is my Uncle Jimbo. I don't really have an Uncle Jimbo. I'm making someone up. Who is a passionate Trump supporter using, you know, some stupid AI app to generate some pretty dank Trump memes for the election because they think people are so damn stupid that they're going to look at a meme and it's going to literally recode their brain cells. I got to tell you something. I, uh, oh, Chris, uh, get ready to call me a fascist. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. If you are that stupid, you should be disallowed to vote. <laughs> I think you might be on, even if you're 10% right, killing the baby here because of just because if even if you're 10% right. I know I'm right. I, can I tell you how I know I'm right? Huh. So for my aunties, election season is the battle. The battle rages. Come with me to a time where you have one auntie baking a casserole. Another auntie. Stay a while. And thank you. Another auntie is like, ew, casseroles suck, you Irish bitch. She's Italian, and she says, aha, I made lasagna, not realizing that lasagna Ooh. is really just Italian casserole. Anti-food wars. Ooh. But then Italian auntie's like, let's talk about Trump. I love Trump. And Irish auntie's like, where's my shillelagh? I'll get the bitch. And yet, I can't see their posts. And the, when I went, go to their profile, their posts have a little thing. Uh, now, granted, the the Irish auntie did have uh, Trump in a one of those pinstripe suits, you know, the the jail jailhouse ones, with a little jailbird that looked like one of a Michael Cohen on his shoulder. I actually thought it was pretty funny. I got to be honest. I give I give this woman's like in her eighties. I got to give her credit. Great job. But it had a little box, not verified. I was like, that's kind of weird. Then I go to the other one. Her entire profile, every post is like. Fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. Uh, COVID, 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 anti-vax, anti-vax, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nobody can see their posts except for each other because they keep tagging each other. Why? They're just downranking them. Okay. Is this why Noster wins? No, because I'm not helping these two set up Noster. I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, what's is there an opportunity here? If If we think, if this is our thesis, then where is the small business opportunity here? Is there is there an opportunity still somewhere when these moats are established in a couple of years when it's fully firmed up? Is there going to be an opportunity somewhere for a small business in this space? Like that's what I'm going to be watching for. I think it's too early to tell. Well, how could there be an opportunity if you have to comply with all these regulations and you can't afford to without <sighs> yeah. millions of VC money, right? It all comes back to the money, dude. Show me the money. Well, you're the, only, you're, the only thing you're really going to have is meta companies like Meta – that will go through the hoops to open source their large language models. Like, that's what you're going to have. Yeah, but Meta, so, 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 I mean, we've run this experiment, right? People have tried to create a new Twitter. People have bought Twitter and tried to 
then lost half the value overnight somehow <laughs> and continued to continue to lose money <laughs> on something yeah. that should have been a pretty easy uh, layup there. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think it was always going to be a loser. It's still fun to watch. I'm still enjoying it. You know what, though? It is. I, I hate to say because I really I really had the great Elon hope. It It sucks now. It's really bad. Oh, it's going to be so much worse once it's a financial app that does everything you need. It's going to be so much worse. I don't understand why you just don't quit while you're way behind, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just think, I don't think the opportunity presents itself yet because we don't know the edges and contours of what all this is ultimately going to look like. Well, we don't even know like how enforceable this executive order is either, right? It's it's on shaky ground. You know the minute somebody has enough money and they don't want to be bound to this, they're going to sue. Depending on the political climate, they're probably going to win. So I, I, I almost... Not that I don't believe our new, more enlightened tech entrepreneurs, but I don't believe them. And I think this AI, this safety and thoughtfulness and inclusiveness bullshit is just bullshit. So. Yeah. Well, we've, I think we've seen this, that show one too many times. We know. It, just, just like hoodies and playing Fortnite during a VC meeting, a la Sam Bakeman Fried was also bullshit, right? Like, I'm not, I, I am, I am a, a bipartisan bullshit caller on this one. Here's a link that was sent in last, last AI story. A link that was sent into us by the audience probably the most this week is this nightshade tool, mm. which is designed to essentially watermark or, as the headline puts it, poison <laughs> art to fight back against generative AI. They say that it's, intend- it's intended to fight back against AI companies that use artist work to train their models without the creator's permission. They use it to poison the training data to damage future iterations of image generation. AI models such as Dolly and, and Midjourney and Stable Diffusion, when they render their outputs, are useless. Dogs become cats, cats become cows, and so forth. MI Technology Review got an exclusive preview of the research, which has been submitted for peer review at a compute at the Usenex Computer Security Conference. So they are going to the idea is you poison the data. There is something wild about the idea of like intentionally injecting what they call poison into what we create today. <laughs> this does feel like a Borg tactic for boarding the Enterprise. Like they've sent a poison data stream, Captain. <laughs> it's just, like, I just, it feels like one of those things that maybe in 30 years you look back and go, or 10 years maybe even, you look back and go, what the hell were they thinking? What the hell were they thinking? Like, all this data is now useless to us, right? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? It's all been wrecked. <laughs> you know, the flip sign of hype is, irrational panic it's it's just the same thing yeah tailscale.com slash coder head on over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices it's a great way to support the show and that's not like a limited time trial that's for your account 100 devices tailscale is a simple secure mesh network protected by wireguard One of the first things you'll appreciate about Tailscale is how quick and simple it is to get started. From the authentication standpoint, from the installation standpoint, it is so slick. Then as you start to use it, there's features that are there, but they don't make it complicated. It's really just as you graduate, as you step up, you'll discover these features. Uh, For me, subnet routing was a game changer. I have an RV in the shop right now. I kind of want to keep an eye on the techs and make sure they keep the batteries topped off so my lithium batteries don't get damaged. I've got a Raspberry Pi. It's actually a Pi KVM running tail scale, and it also is a subnet router. And now I can check on the status of my batteries from anywhere, from El Salvador, from Seattle, 
I can check and make sure everything's okay. Plus, I know all my photos that I'm backing up while I'm traveling, all my notes, all of that's being sent over Tailscale. It doesn't matter if I'm on airplane Wi-Fi or if I'm on an Airbnb Wi-Fi or a hotel. My confidential personal information, or just my musings at least, are all syncing over Tailscale because all of my services, JB and personal, are on Tailscale. That's how simple it is to do. You can do that really quickly. It's absolutely fantastic for developers looking for some ad hoc networking. You can use the ACL system to securely share certain ports and resources with friends or clients so they can test things. And Tailscale Send is sort of like airdrop for all your machines. The value is just unbelievable, especially when you can use it for free for up to 100 devices, and it's a great way to support the show. Tailscale really is a next-level networking solution. And for enterprises, you can say goodbye to complicated, expensive, proprietary hardware and weird UIs to manage it with ongoing, crazy expensive support contracts. Or man, the systems that try to integrate with a authentication backend like Active Directory that just break. Mm, Tailscale makes all of that look so old. It may, I, I hate to say it, guys. If you're using one of those systems, it makes it look like 1980s networking. Tailscale is that big of a leap. It's pretty great. You're going to love it for personal, for enterprise, or just for your own shop. Check it out and support the show at tailscale.com slash coder. I haven't wanted to talk about this on air, but it's been going on for about a year, and, or maybe more, and I just wanted to get your take on this. I'm not really going to talk about it anywhere else, I don't think, but uh, I have a lot of respect for Hector Martin and the team over at the Asahi Linux Project. I have an M1 Max MacBook Pro running Fedora Asahi on it. It's fantastic. I'm really impressed with what they've gotten done. But I have noticed a repeated trend from Hector where he is really kind of going after the kernel community and the contributors of the kernel. And often when you dig through the conversation thread, you discover that maybe he submitted a patch, the maintainer rejected it. Often it's for a reason that Hector finds to be trivial. Every now and then I've, I've kind of seen the sense of, do you know who I am? It's fine. And uh, he really has gone after kernel maintainers over and over again. And just recently on Mastodon, he wrote, quote, there is a myth that the Linux kernel community needs to be, quote, picky to keep high code quality levels. And this is a necessary evil. And, the, and this is what makes Linux so great and robust. This is a lie. And the excuses need to die. Linux kernel code quality and review is about as bad as you'd expect for a project of that size with low reviewer-contributor ratio. It is in no way helped by reviewers and maintainers who are picky or read assholes. You know why Linux stays afloat? Because it has a massive amount of users, which means when the regression happens, it gets caught quickly. And then he goes into some of the recent regressions just off the top of his head, which is a, a pretty lengthy list. Um, and he kind of continues on. He says, no developers are perfect. Uh, claiming Linux is somehow has better code review standards than most other projects is disingenuous and a poor excuse for toxic behavior. Uh, and this is probably one of half a dozen over the last year or so that I've seen. Some, I think most of them have been deleted now, generally going after the kernel maintainers. And to me, where I sit, I don't want to see mommy and daddy fight. I, I, really, I really feel like there is a space for a developer to have a bit of professional courtesy like these are maybe conversations you have over irc or in a dm um, but i don't really think it serves anyone publicly posting them on social media and then doing it over and over again kind of criticizing them 
and at the same time criticizing them for toxic behavior, but he's the one that's publicly doing this, and it's a pattern. And I just, I, I just look at the dynamics of working in the open source community, and when a project depends on the upstream project to contribute and accept their patches, it seems like you could potentially damage that relationship and thus damage the potential success of the overall project. And I'm just wondering what your, you know, your analysis and take is on what I've just laid out here. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that all this kind of like infighting stuff is super bad for the project. It is, it's also true, though, that as things get bigger, projects get bigger and code bases get you know, more uh, expansive, you're going to have more issues with things like compatibility and interactions, and you need a, a, a close look, right, editing change. Having said that, yeah, I mean, people being dicks is not helpful to the overall community. It, it, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's like both on both sides, right? The maintainers should be diplomatic and professional. It would be ideal, right? But these are volunteers. And then the same on the Asahi project side, or at least attempt to keep things civil. Well, or, or disagreements, you know, public praise, private admonishment, right? That that would go a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a tenuous relationship, and the projects are dependent on cooperation with each other. I think is really why I'm concerned. And there's a lot of I feel like a lot of hope for that project to get a functional, fully functional Linux system. Uh, working on the M1 and M2 hardware. But this has been a problem in open source. And really, this problem happens with proprietary projects, too, inside of companies all the time. Right? Sure. There's like, you yeah. get your alpha coders who like want to bitch you out about like syntax or whatever. But... Yep, you're absolutely right. Hey, you know, we recently talked about those Voyager probe developers who've been working on the Voyager probe forever, since the early 70s. I guess, you know, I, we don't really talk about this, but it's pretty well known Nintendo has pretty amazing retention, and they just recently shipped a new Mario game. Ooh. And the development team is some of the same folks that worked on the original Super Mario Bros. 38 years ago. That's epic. 38 years. Um, and it's interesting. They talk about how – so Nintendo kind of has multiple teams working on different parts of the Mario franchise, I guess. And they kind of these this team gets at this point gets a pretty long leash, it sounds like. Uh, they get they get quite the range of latitude from the Nintendo executives. Unbelievable. One of the developers there, Mark, it was his 39th year that he's been involved in the development of the Mario games. That's a legacy. No, that's a great legacy. How do you explain that? I mean, how do you even... It's got to be a cultural thing to some degree. I know Japanese culture does reward tenure, so maybe there's an element of that. I don't know. I don't know. If, is it Japanese? I mean, I, f- I feel like... That's a labor of love, right? Like, there's got to be animators at Disney or who were at Disney who started working on Mickey Mouse towards the beginning and and still did at the end, you know, till they retired, right, or passed. I remember in January of 2014, uh, Nintendo wasn't doing well. And instead of making the staff take pay cuts, the executives took pay cuts. One executive took a 50% pay cut. The others took somewhere between 20 and 30% pay cuts. During the, you know, during the Wii U era. Oh. Um, and then later on, when profits were up, uh, this, was a, this was a story earlier this year, Nintendo gave employees a 10% raise. So maybe they're just a great company to work for. Yeah, I, I feel like they take care of their people. You know, like you, you treat your developers well and they stick around, <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> there it is. You want to keep someone for 38 years? There's, there it is. Yeah, they are the use case. They are, really. All right. Well, thank you to our members. If you'd like to support the show, you can. CoderQA.co. You get an ad-free version of the show. And also, you get the Coder QA as a thank you for your direct support. And you do that on a monthly basis. Or you can boost an individual show. That's another way to get your message on the show and support us directly. 
with a new podcast app at podcastapps.com or just get Albie. GetAlby.com, and then you can boost from the web. We got links in them show notes. And speaking of them boosts, we do have a handful to get into. And now it is time for Le Boost. McZip comes in with 50,000 sats. And McZip, you are our baller this week, sir. Oh, and he's helping combat that false egg. That Thank you. Appreciate that. Using Castomatic too, a great podcasting 2.0 app for iOS. Noob Steve comes in with 10,000 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. He says, sorry, guys, but I think you've been wrong on Apple TV. The shows that they make are awesome. After watching Silo, my wife and I both immediately bought our own copies of the books because it was so good. Severance was mind-blowing. Invasion is awesome. And Ted Lasso has been awesome. I seriously don't think I've had an Apple TV show that was trash yet. I haven't heard anything from uh, Egon in a while. How's my favorite Coastbuster doing? Yeah, Egon, you got to write in. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with you, Noob Steve. We had discussed this last week. I think there are some good shows on there. I haven't checked them all out. I love where he crashed. So I want to watch. I think Ted Ted Lasso sort of peaked in season one personally. Season two wasn't too bad. Had some filler. And I think season three was kind of contrived. Kind of. My personal opinion. Shots fired. Yeah. Well, they just, I don't want to get into it for spoilers, but I wasn't, I wasn't super happy with it. Um, but I still, it was enjoyable. Celsius bus comes in with 10,000 sats. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, using the podcast index. I seem to recall you both have tried game streaming. Mm -hmm. Have either of you tried a hosted workstation? I'm thinking about Uh. paying for a hosted Mac for an upcoming three-month project. I'm also considering buying a used M1 Air off of eBay, but anything decent still $700 plus. Which would you pick? Used M1 Air if it can do it. 100%. (laughs) Hundred <laughs> percent. Wow, that was no hesitation. Uh, it, I've tried so many hosted workstation solutions. Really, and they just suck. I mean, they don't work. It's really that's a shame because it's just three months. This is where you have to like hide the cost of that computer in the contract, right? Or tell them outright that you're buying the computer and make them commit. It's a business expense, at least. Um, you might build, you know, Celsius. You might be able to sell it in three months for around the same price. If if you had said Windows, I might like say take a look at the new azure solution but the mac stuff it's i have just the best i ever did in the cloud was mac in the cloud and that's kind of a weird like you're really renting a mac mini server from them right which i think now are mac studios but my experience with it was it ended up just not being worth it laggy and just kind of bad performance yeah and expensive i guess i mean it was less expensive than buying the machine but the hassle was uh was pretty significant yeah, I, I would like to put a call out to the audience. If you've used streaming desktop services, Mac or not, what has been working for you? Um, because, you know, I, I'd love to find a Mac service that had some sort of accelerated desktop. But if somebody out there has a decent hosted Linux desktop, I'd kind of like to check it out. Well, the bandwidth constraints are probably going to be your issue, too, right? The bandwidth constraints of just the desktop session just being slow. Yeah, like your your bandwidth, right? Comcast. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> usually is. It's a good question, though, Celsius. Sounds like the eBay purchase might be the way to go because of worst-case scenario, you got yourself a new device. Best-case scenario, you could resell it in a few months. Um, that's it. Another another shorty. We stacked uh, 76,512 sats this episode. Really, though, because we split mm-hmm. across two episodes because we're doing a back-to-back, we had a total of 133,024 sats. Uh, from seven boosters. Thank you, everybody who sends in your messages. Sometimes it's a rabbit hole I never expected, 
and it's some of my favorite conversations on the show. And we really appreciate the support as well. Links in the notes if you'd like to participate. Now, before we get out of here, anywhere you want to send people, anything you got to tell folks, you know? I don't um, know. No, at Dumanuku on Weapon X and uh, go to DominicM.com. I'll do it. But not because you asked, but just because I want to. You know? Because I want to. Um, I will, uh, I'll be back in the studio by the time uh, we record next week. So we should be back at our regular live time. Are we, we should probably talk if we're moving to Mondays. I don't know what we're doing. We got to figure it out. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll update the calendar. It's hard. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. You know what? Having a small business and kids. Tricky. It's It's hard to to balance all those karate classes. Ooh, karate. Karate. Hi. That's cool. Well, better watch out. You better watch out. He's coming for you. (laughs) <laughs> all right thank you everybody for listening if you want to get some links to what we talked about today coder.show slash 543 you'll find our rss feeds there our contact form and all of that also just want to say thank you to anybody who takes a moment to share the show with somebody that might enjoy it that's really the best way to share a podcast there is no marketing for podcasts outside of that so we always appreciate that i suppose there's reviews and ratings too all those and boosts all those are great but we also just appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune into this week's episode, and we'll see you right back here next week.